Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. So we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, as Friday is a holiday in the UAE on the Prophet's birthday. Peace be upon him. I hope you're all enjoying a long weekend. Uh, this week there was the Arab Media Forum, and also our business turned down a $12 million valuation uh, of Augustus Media. I didn't expect it to be leaked, but one of the local newspapers picked that up. And uh, but we're happy we weren't looking for investment and we're happy to continue to grow and we think the future is bright and as is the theme on a lot of these shows and a lot of the founders that we speak to everyone's really optimistic about the outlook in the region uh, so you know we're another six straight profitable year for the business and uh, we're reinvesting and we continue to launch and roll out new lovins new lovin cities there's 20 now and a streaming service and everything like that but enough about us i think you'll love this story today uh, enjoy the conversation welcome back to another episode of dubai works business podcast today we're joined by adnan Jassat, the founder and CEO of Thriller, the largest marketplace for sneakers and apparel in the Middle East. Good morning, Adnan. Morning, Rich. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. So tell us a bit about Thriller. Yeah, so uh, Thriller is an online marketplace for sneakers and now recently apparel. Uh, we function similar to a, a stock market where we have two types of people that come onto the marketplace. We have buyers and we have sellers. Um, buyers uh, don't typically just purchase on our marketplace, but they place bids as well. And sellers can come and place asks. And when a bid and ask meets, that's how a transaction happens with us. Um, so we function very similarly, similarly to a stock market in the sense that all the sneakers and apparel are not just your regular sneakers and apparel, but they're limited edition collectibles. They hold value. Sometimes they go up, sometimes they go down. Um, that's why our concept was built. It's so that people can have the best chance of acquiring these sneakers or apparel for the fairest price possible um, on our marketplace. So it's, you would describe it as an e-commerce marketplace? Yes, yes. And how do you, can, usually in the marketplace, people can upload whatever they want to sell. How do you make sure that they're what you just yeah. described? So we have a set list of products. We got about um, 3,000 items that you can, that we allow trading on, on our marketplace. And you can, any seller can, choose to sell any one of those 3,000 items. We already have the images set up and the description set up, so you don't need to do any of that. There's no taking pictures, there's no filling out descriptions, entering the condition, because every item that we sell is brand new in the original condition. So all you have to do is tell us which size you're selling and the price that you'd like to get for it, and then we do the rest. And can just explain how that works, because you know, if, if I'm reselling sneakers, how, how, can, how do you know that I haven't worn them? Yeah, so let's say that you you and me are the, the, the buyer and seller in the transaction. So you become the seller, I'd become the buyer. I would go onto the marketplace and purchase the sneaker. Now you would get notified that your sneaker is sold. What do you do next? You then package your sneaker and send it to our authentication warehouse. So we have an authentication warehouse with authentication specialists and verifiers that actually inspect your item physically. So they say, okay, Richard sent the item. Um, now I have to check if it's authentic. I have to check if it's brand new. Is the box damaged? Is the, is the sneaker used? Is there anything missing? 
is um, are, are there are there a pair of laces here that's not that's not supposed to be here? We check all of these all of these things, and once we've determined that okay, this pair is authentic, is as described, brand new, then we ship it out to me as the buyer. And in sneakers and, and other apparel, people who do this are collectors, right? So the buyers and sellers, yes. the sellers are usually collectors who they know it's in their interest to have the value high to keep these in mint condition. Yes. So, you know, I was going to ask what's the return rate, but actually this isn't a secondhand store because you, people know what they're doing. They're sending you premium. So you, ideally you'd think that. You'd think the return rate would be low, but actually it's quite the opposite. So, yes, it's not a secondhand store in the sense that these are pretty loved or used items, but I'll give you an example. Um, there was a Jordan that dropped about two weeks ago. Um, now that Jordan, you could buy it from the retailers for... A thousand dirhams. It's now selling for three thousand five hundred dirhams. So this is a new release by Air Jordan. It's a new release. Like, yeah. But but uh, make no mistake. We also um, sell retro releases, like from the nineteen eighties and nineties, Jordans nineties, um, and those those go for significant amounts. Um, I think the most expensive sneaker that we have on our marketplace is a nineteen eighty five Air Jordan one that's selling for forty five thousand dirhams. So these are high ticket items. But we also, we, uh, our sneakers started about 700 dirhams. So we have all ends of the spectrum. And the, and the drop you were explaining? The drop I was explaining, um, that, that's a, a recent release. It came out about three weeks ago. Um, so like I said, from the retailers, it's 1,000. And now I think our average market price on, on Thriller is about 2,500, 3,000, something like that. Okay, and the return rate, are, you know, they were new, so they were just bought probably in a store or online. People get them and then... They're still... So people buy them and they keep them. They don't use them. They just leave them untouched. And then ideally the day they buy them, then they upload them onto our marketplace or so maybe other marketplaces. And they try to figure out what, where's, the, where's the place I can get the, the best return for my item. And like I said, let's say you, you had a chance to buy that sneaker. You'd buy it for 1000 and then you put it up for 2500 Then someone would make a bid for 2000 and it's up to you to accept is that is that a reasonable amount a reasonable amount or not and if you accept then you can accept the bid all by yourself the transaction happens as i spoke before and the, and that's how it works the transaction happens in terms of the warehouse but is there an escrow to protect the buyer before yeah. they receive it so as soon as the transaction happens um we hold the buyer's um amount in escrow with us and then at the same at the same time the seller ships the item to us and at one stage we hold both the sneaker and the and the amount so that way both both uh, parties are protected and then once we verify that the the seller side is has checked out we release the funds to the seller minus our percentage and then we release the goods to the buyer and the turnaround time of that is usually turnaround time is between two and five days and your, your percentage is our percentage for sneakers is 10 percent and then we recently um we recently started selling apparel our, our percentage for that is 14 percent Okay, is there a reason why? Uh, apparel items usually have a lower ticker value, so our average um, sneaker value is about 1,000 dirhams. Our average apparel um, is about 500 dirhams. Makes sense to have a different rate. Okay, cool. And so tell us a little bit about you and how you set this up. Yeah, so I, I, um, I started it when I was about 18. Um, we had a very small team. I mean, we still have a, a fairly small to medium-sized team, but I started when I was 18. Um, I started because I, I was collecting sneakers since I was 15. So I, I'm, I'm, I was in the industry for a very long time. I know exactly what it takes to secure a, uh, a very expensive sneaker or a very limited edition sneaker. And I was the guy waiting in lines for, you know, two days to get a pair of sneakers. And not necessarily to sell, but for myself. Um, I, and then eventually I just succumbed to buying from other marketplaces that were out there because 
I realized that marketplaces were the only true way to, to get the item that you wanted because every item was always in stock and for the lowest price possible. And that's when, that's when it hit me that we've been buying, everyone in, in, in UAE and Saudi has been buying from marketplaces in the US and China and Japan, and there's nothing of the sort in UAE. Um, so that's when I, when I started it. We started just as a beta test to see how the response was, and the response was phenomenal. Um, this was about uh, two years ago, and then we, we fully-fledged started about a year and a half ago, uh, 18 months ago, and, um, and, and from then we've just seen enormous growth, a lot of traction picked up, and not only in the sneaker market, but anything limited edition. So that's why we mm. expanded from sneakers into apparel as well. Okay, and so the process of going into the e-commerce, like building that and uh, building a marketplace, because the marketplace itself can be simple enough, it can be a tech-based website, but then to get sort of the supply and demand there, how, how is that process? Yeah, so the marketplace is, is quite complex in the sense that, as I explained, this whole buyer-seller journey with the authentication and the seller mm. pickups, that all happens through the marketplace, right? There's no third party or physical application, it's all through the marketplace. But to answer your question, um, to get demand from both buyers and sellers, um, when it comes to buyers, we, we're very big on social. Um, so we, we get most of our buyers from, from Google and from Facebook and Instagram. Um, but we also work with a lot of big brand endorsers. So we have very big brand endorsers that are, that are endorsing our marketplace and making um, sneakers appeal to our, our demographic. Because the people who buy sneakers are not your 40 or 50 year olds um, that, 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 are, that are going to stores and buying sneakers. They, we, we target people from 18 to 30. So it's a fairly, fairly young population. And the best way to reach that young population is to, is to, yeah, is to get, is online and, and to get uh, brand endorsers that, um, that appeal with, with, um, with what they, they think and what they believe. So we, we work with a lot of rappers. We work with a lot of singers, um, actors, um, football players. We work with anyone that has a true link to, to a young person. Um, and we, we have them endorse our, our brand and our products. And that's, that's the main way that we currently acquiring buyers onto our marketplace. So how would that work? They would say that they think this is a cool place or they actually transact and sell their things there or, yeah, or so people can buy their sneakers or apparel? Yeah, so let me give you an example. Um, we recently worked with Jason Derulo. So obviously 99% of young people know who that is. And we, we had him sit down and we had him actually... Uh, walk you through how the marketplace works and he went and bought an item and then the sneakers were delivered to him and then we had a collection the next day called Jason Terullo's Picks. So that was the sneakers that Jason Terullo went onto the oh, website okay. and, and bought and then obviously people were like, I want what Jason Terullo bought. So then they went onto the section, the collection that said Jason Terullo Picks and you know, there was what the same one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. And so talk about that. So how old are you now? Now I'm 20. 20, so wow, so well done. <laughs> so two years in, uh, how did you fund this? Are you in university and how does that work? Yeah, so I, I finished school at 18. Um, it's all been bootstrapped. It's all been self-funded as uh, up until a few months ago. We raising, we raised our first round of investment. It's still going through actually. Um, but our first round of investment actually is going to project us into not only becoming the largest marketplace in the Middle East, which we already are, but becoming the largest marketplace for sneakers and apparel um, in the, in the MENA, in the whole MENA region. So currently we do have a few competitors that are, that are winning, that are beating us in the, when it comes to a uh, number of sneakers sold, a number of apparel sold, but with our new round of investment, we, it should put us over the top. Can you say how much that is? Or I can't say as of rough, now. Roughly 
what sort of valuation are you? Uh, roughly, we valued at something. Um, I'll just give an estimate about between three and six million. Okay, so uh, the the stage, and then how do you know that you are that big? And, and you use metrics there, like number of sneakers you sell. Use metrics like GMV. Um, that's how. That's the main metric that marketplaces are valued at. Um, and we, we we use a couple other metrics, but I. Since the the investment round is still ongoing, uh, I wouldn't like to talk too much about. Uh, and and how, so, what, what's your sale volume? How many people are on the site? Yeah, so our monthly active users is fifty thousand. We get about fifty thousand monthly active users uh, on site. Uh, in terms of buyers, we have uh, we have I think seventy five thousand. Uh, last time I checked, about seventy five thousand uh, buyers signed up. And in terms of sellers, we have over six thousand sellers. So these are six thousand individual sellers that have one or more items to sell. Okay, and what else, running a marketplace online, what are the other things that you as a founder need to think about? Uh, you know, we talked about marketing, the tech team, uh, are they here and how do you kind of do that? Yeah, so our marketing team is all based in Dubai. Um, our tech team, we have a team of uh, about a dozen developers that are, that are currently working on the marketplace. Um, we have two developers here and the rest are based in uh, Pakistan and Ukraine. We sort of split them up between them. Um, but our, our, our marketing team is here. Our marketing is is I would say one of the main pillars um, that we focus on. Uh, so most of our marketing team is based here. Uh, the rest of our social team is based here. Uh, and obviously our authentication warehouse and specialists are all based here. And how have you been able to sort of like bootstrap it or make it profitable with, with marketing, tech, and you know, the 10% will only come to you later. So uh, the sort of cash flow and how, how are you running that? Yeah. So initially, I mean, uh, initially we, we, were, we were struggling a bit with the cash flow because we were only making 10% and our average order value is 1,000 dirhams. So that's about 100 dirhams, um, 100 dirham percentage of every sneaker that's sold. So the best way we figured out how to better increase cash flow and get a positive cash flow was to uh, spend less on the development side because we already have a working marketplace. We already have the whole system in place. So now it, it, it's just a matter of plug and play with our marketing team. So we decided to take out most of our spend when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, website Tech. development and, and, and marketplace development, and we decided to put it in, all into marketing spend. And we just worked really hard to secure the, the highest return on ad spend as possible, and then that's when we started seeing positive cash flow. Okay, and can you be profitable? With are you profitable? Yeah, yeah, we're profitable at the uh, moment. Okay, that's amazing. So, uh, so Triller basically you kind of described that you want to be the leading one uh, in in a marketplace. Will you ever have your own product, or will you ever will you ever be more than a marketplace and have your own e-commerce as well? Yeah, I mean, it could come to the stage where we start um, partnering with brands that we we currently selling and um, make a product of our own. But I think the long term our vision would be to not only limit ourselves to become a marketplace for sneakers and apparel, but to become the marketplace for anything limited edition, whether that's collectible baseball cards, whether that's um, uh, collectible uh, signed memorabilia, whatever it may be. We, 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 our, our ideal goal is to become the marketplace, the biggest marketplace for anything collectible or limited edition or in that space. Yeah, and that's how the brand can get known for something as well. And there, yeah. you know, can you know globally? Is there any market value on uh, collectibles, limited edition collectibles? Like, is it a is it a category? Like, say, art is a category or something like that. Or are drops and reselling drops and art and sneakers and things like that and apparel? Is there a, a total addressable market in terms of value there? Well, when you say total addressable market, you're talking about sneakers or anything collectible. 
just in general, you know, how would investors look at this? Would they sort of say, because, uh, you know, I, I know there are some platforms like this in the US who are well known and they do drops and they're kind of premium collectibles. Like, how do they know that there's a market there other than saying, okay, kids are in, into this. Yeah. We know that kids like sneakers, yes, yes. but how do we know that there's actually commercial opportunity? So the way to find out, I mean, sneakers, we've already determined that, that there is a, an addressable market to go for. But I mean, if you, if you, if we're looking to expand into a certain category, let's take baseball cards as an example, and we want to find out, we want to pitch to investors that, okay, baseball cards is, is the next category that we want to put onto the platform. Um, I think firstly, you'd need to look at uh, if, if there are any smaller marketplaces or smaller uh, online stores, or physical stores that are actually uh, reselling that type of item, in this case, baseball cards. Check in your region, check in other regions. It might not be big in Dubai, but it might be huge in, in, um, in Qatar, for example. And you'd, you'd, go, you'd go on and you check, okay, there's 10 stores within a five-mile radius that, that all cater for baseball cards. Um, there must be something there, but in Dubai there's nothing. So then you can, you can actually work out that, okay, there is an addressable market in Qatar for baseball cards, but there is none in Dubai, so we're just going to focus, um, focus on, on, on uh, baseball cards in Qatar only. And then we found out that in another region that there, there's also an addressable market, so we're going to focus on there. I think you just have to find out if other people are taking advantage of... Um, of whatever product you're looking to sell or, or load onto the marketplace. And if you find that market, then you, you just do a bit of research into who else is tapping into that opportunity. And once you find that, that, that opportunity, then you, you can leverage off that. Interesting. And did you do that with sneakers or apparel? Did you uh, do market entry into, say, a GCC country that you knew something would do well in? Yeah, we did. And we found that the top two in the Middle East was UAE and Saudi. Um, so UAE, as I explained, since I was about 15, there were lines, I'm sure you've even seen, there were lines outside Dubai Mall and Mall of Emirates, and whenever there was a sneaker drop, you'd just see huge crowds, um, actually, and, and um, stores, the stores that would do this would actually release the number of uh, raffle entries that they would get. So to give you an example, if there was a sneaker that, that they only had quantity of 10,000 sneakers, uh, there was a raffle entry of something close to 800,000 entries. So there's 800,000 people who wanted 1,000 pairs of sneakers. Um, so we, we, we sort of looked at that data like that, metrics like that, and determined that UAE was the best place to start something like this. Hmm. And how much of it is, uh, is young people like you as a 15-year-old, uh, you know, buying for yourself versus how much of it is people collecting? And do you have a breakdown of your, say, 50,000 or 75,000? Do you know who are people who actually just want to get... Uh, a limited edition sneaker for their own personal yes. interest versus people who are in the business. Yeah. So in terms of people who are avid sneaker collectors who want a pair to add their collection, I would say about about a good 30% of our customer base is made up of sneaker collectors like that. Um, so not necessarily sneaker collectors, any type of collectors. Um, and then the rest would be just people who have a genuine um, interest and like of sneakers and they're either buying it from themselves or f for their family or friend. Um, that makes up the rest of our customer base. And they'll wear them. And they'll wear them, yeah. But uh, the people who would, if you're talking about the people who would um, take the sneaker, put it in a glass box and just leave it there, I'd say that's maybe about 5 or 10% of the people that we sell to. Yeah. And uh, like we, we know in Dubai, we know, say, Rashid Bilhassa, Money Kicks, like he made the sneaker thing well known. He was always doing yeah. these things and wraps on cars and things like that. So is that... A, is that a fair reflection? Would you say, like, I'm a bit older now, kind of double your age, but, you know, when I was in school, kids weren't necessarily talking about 
premium drops and things like that. It was kind of like, oh, I'll get a new pair of shoes, but it wasn't necessarily all about limited edition. Uh, is it, how um, widespread is this? Like, if if we asked like 20, 15 year olds now, how many of them put, would put their hand up and say that they've asked their parents or they've tried to get a limited edition themselves? Yeah. So for for the first part, um, in about the eighties or nineties, it wasn't so much. It wasn't so mainstream like how it was now. I mean, at that stage, I'm sure I'm sure the names like um, like Patrick Ewings and Jordans came up at your time, right? Um, and those were big then, but obviously it's 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 no match to what, what the stage we're at now. But in terms of how many kids kids in high school or university that are actually asking their parents, um, you know, I need to get this limited edition drop. Can you get me the sneaker? I would say all, if not 90% of kids, would have at least tried to get a sneaker in that space. Fascinating. And then do the brands then cater to that? Because yes, Jordans are always the famous one that's yeah. always collectibles, but are other brands uh, doing drops? I think Yeezys were, quite, were doing yes. that and then other brands, do they do that as well? All the big um, sports brands have started doing it from Nike and Jordan to Adidas Yeezy to New Balance um, to even even like the likes of Puma, which you would never think to enter the space. But um, uh, and it's, then there's collabs between the luxury brands. You're right, and, yes, yeah. like um, like Prada and Adidas or Gucci and Adidas yeah. or, you know, something like that. Um, Jordan and Dior. Um, now, if you look at the spectrum of, of, of brands, I mean, you've got top-tier luxury brands like, um, like Dior and then you've got a, a low to medium brand like Nike or Jordan. You'd never think that the two would actually merge. And then you've got Prada and then you've got Adidas. And, so these are brands from totally different ends of the spectrum. They don't cater for the same market at all. Um, but yet they're doing these collaborations. And when you ask yourself why, um, you find out that the limited edition space and the collectible space and the, um, the feeling or the, the attention that you get from uh, releasing something limited in a capsule or where they just threw a raffle um, puts, a, puts a higher value on not only your, your products that you're selling, but your, your brand image as well. Because now... You can walk into Dior and buy everything off the shelves, but you could never get the Dior Jordan. That's gone. There was only 8,000 pieces made. There'll, there'll be no more. So all brands from low tier to top tier are all embracing this luxury, limited edition, collectible market. Mm. And, and uh, what about their apparel? So what are the popular apparel items that people... Yeah, so it's mainly streetwear brands. Um, I don't know if you've heard of um, like Fear of God, Palm Angels, um, Billionaire Boys. Um, these are the type of brands that we sell. Supreme, I'm sure you, you've definitely heard of. Um, so it's all these streetwear brands, mostly that emerge from America. And, um, and same style, they, they introduce a very limited amount of pieces. Those pieces get sold out and then they restore them marketplaces like ours. Mm. And uh, so they're aware of the marketplaces. Uh, and that goes back to my earlier question, like would they ever go direct to the marketplace? Like what... So they release it on their website or in their store, knowing full well that... Are you talking about retailers? Uh, yeah, the brands. Yeah, yeah, okay. So they would release it on their website or, or their yes. store, knowing that the, the marketplaces industry exists. Yes. And would they want to, you know, would they want to cut of that or is that just the way the industry works? Yeah, so um, let me put it simply, brands don't like resellers. Hmm. Their goal is to get their products into the hands of people that will actually wait. Um, so they definitely know, that, I mean, th look, Nike and Jordan is the biggest brands when it comes to releasing limited edition quantity. And they know full and well that they could easily 
make 50,000 of the same piece or 100,000 of the same piece so that all their sneaker collectors and fans will get a, will get a pair. But they don't do it because then the, uh, the luxury feeling or the, uh, the acquirable feeling of, of you attaining something limited goes away. That's why they keep releasing limited quantities and they, they ultimately know that the products that they sell, 80% of it will go up onto reseller sites and resellers will end up making a profit, whether that's individual resellers, whether that's stores, whether that's marketplaces. They know this full and well. And at the end of the day, it's an opportunity cost. It's either we release um, triple the amount of quantity and make more profit, but then this will only last two or three releases and eventually our products will sit on the shelves. Or we can do 50 releases all with a very low limited quantity and keep, keep the hype up, keep the brand up. And, um, and if these resellers want to profit, that's fine. We still, at the end of the day, selling out. So you're two years into this, Adnan, and you, you were a collector yourself. Do you still think that a marketplace is the best way to tackle, to uh, take, make the most of the opportunity that you spotted commercially? Yes, uh, I do think that the reason being that we do not set the prices on our marketplace. That's the thing about marketplace, right? The, the, the marketplace has no say in, in what you choose to sell for. That way, the, the, the way of doing that ensures that anyone who purchases an item purchases it, it, purchases it at the lowest price that, that, that's possible. Stores will set a markup, will set a price, and that's it. With us, if you choose to sell your sneaker for 1,000 or 10,000 or 5,000, eventually you'll see the average market price and eventually buyers will determine that, okay, this is actually the true fair value of the sneaker, I will buy it for that. And that's the, that's the number one reason I think that marketplaces are winning over any other method of, of acquiring limited edition goods is purely because it's fair, it's open, it's live, you can make any bit of your choice, you can sell for any ask of your choice, and you can choose to accept or decline at your own volition. I think that's the main uh, reason and the key factor into why marketplaces are winning and other, other stores are not. When you're uploading, when you're introducing a new category or uploading uh, items for sale, is there a catalogue that you look for? For example, say you moved into another category like art, how would you know which paintings to be as the limited edition ones? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so to find out exactly which products are, are selling the best and which ones will actually, uh, will actually uh, ultimately become limited edition and, and make resellers want to sell, at the end of the day it just comes down to knowing your, your market. So with sneakers, we know that Nike and Jordan is, is the number one uh, seller, whether it be with us or, or any, any marketplaces. We know Yeezy is number two, and we know New Balance and Puma are not up to the same level. So in that aspect, if we're adding 100 products to a collection, we'll make sure that at least 60 or 70 are Nike, Jordan, and Yeezy, and the rest 30 would be the lower-tier lower, lower brands that aren't reselling as well. Hmm. Yeah, So, but I was kind of wondering that, like, so say you say you want to be that premium uh, luxury drop uh, section website marketplace for yeah. people reselling their items. For example, say I'm a collector and I have a few paintings from uh, well-known artists and I know that you've got an audience who's interested in collectibles. I would need you to have already a photo of my item there in order for you to accept my item. I can't just go and upload it. Right. Or can I submit it to you for approval in the future? Yeah. So most of the so we 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 know exactly what drops. Let's just take Nike and Jordan as an example. We know exactly what drops they're going to do for the next six months. So we will ultimately put all of those drops onto the marketplace. 
maybe minus 10% of it that we know won't, How do you know that? won't resell. It's, it's fairly open information. It's not like we're getting insider source. I mean, Nike typically tells you what they're going to release. And, um, and most of the time, the drops that do really well are collaborations. So not necessarily with other brands, but with, with individuals. Like, for example, I'm sure you've heard of the Jordan Travis Scott. Mm. So that's a collaboration between Jordan and Travis Scott. So uh, they, they openly tell you that we're going to do another release in three months. So we know exactly what they're going to do in three months. We already have it uploaded. And yes, sometimes we get requests from sellers saying that I have this item for sale. It's not available. Can you upload it? We'll do a bit of research and we'll say, okay, we can do it and we'll upload it. What's the name of that uh, website in the US that does the drops and it's more like a live shopping, a live experience? It's premium luxury, limited edition. They do Jeff Koons things and sneakers and all this sort of stuff. We'll have to put it in the show notes, look it up. But yeah. do you know that do you know there's platforms like yours that are really popular? Yes. And do you sort of, uh, you say kind of to achieve that in the Middle East, but do you think that you can be sort of culty and well-known like they are, you know, as, in, as famous as they are? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, that's definitely our goal. And I think the reason that they are so well-known in their region is just because not only that they, they're big in, sense or in the sense of GMV, but they they've managed to get their message across to the youth in a way that um, that's in sync with, with their target audience. So that's by using, like I mentioned, brand endorsers that, um, that link very closely to their target audience. So if, if, you, if you look at their growth, it mainly comes down to one thing, which is are they relaying the message to their target audience in a way that resonates with their target audience? Mm. Um, so we, we currently on track to doing that. Um, I think with our new um, round of investment, it will definitely push things over the edge. Um, in the UAE, we are very well known, but I mean, uh, to become well known across different regions and the world, it's about getting your message out there in the most efficient way. Is it in Arabic? Uh, we do have an Arabic version of the website, but most of our endorsers are not Arabic speaking. They're in English. And uh, since it's a, a dot-com website, uh, why is it only in the UAE? Like, can anyone buy from anywhere? Uh, so we currently ship to 30 countries. Uh, we do have the AE website as well, but um, we, mainly, we, we mainly go as the .com website, but we do ship to 30 plus countries. Uh, soon, eventually, in the next, uh, before the end of the year, uh, we'll be shipping to about 52 countries. Shipping to 52 countries. So of the, say, 75,000 sellers, where are they from? Uh, all sellers are based in the UAE. Uh, it's not, so it's not 75,000 uh, sellers, it's 6,000 sellers, um, but 75,000 uh, registered users. So that's all across the world. Majority is in the Middle East, um, in the MENA region. Um, but in terms of sellers, all of our sellers are local, they're based in the UAE. 6,000 people doing this in the UAE all the yeah. time. And how active would they be? Uh, so the way I like to put it is about 80% of our revenue comes from about 10% of our sellers. So we got about, let's say, five or 600 sellers that... Um, that feed about 80% of our volume. Mm. So it's these big-time sellers that got about 400 pairs by themselves, and they're uploading those 400 pairs by themselves. Um, and then the rest of the sellers, that the remainder of the 80%, have one or two pairs. Maybe individuals like yourself bought a pair, and now they want to sell it. That makes up about the 80%. Mm. And if you're someone who, say, likes sneakers, but you never knew there was a marketplace in this, and you've got a few kind of retro old sneakers, how do you know that there's value in that and that you could sell it? Well, I guess the main way that you'd know is uh, you, you just either go on one of the social platforms like TikTok, Instagram, or you just go to Google and type in the name of your shoe, and then you'll be able to do a bit of research. I think in this day and age we're living off where 
no matter where you are, if you're browsing on Instagram or you're browsing on TikTok or you, you, most people are getting the information from search engines like TikTok or Google, it's inevitable to just type in the name of your shoe and find out exactly that this is what it's selling for. It is actually very limited edition and this is what you could do with it. Mm, okay. And do you think that that will create more of a market? Will more people get interested in uh, becoming part of this uh, marketplace? Yes. So from 2018 up until now, we've seen exponential growth in the sneaker industry. Mainly it's from people, uh, I'm talking about the seller side for now, it's mainly it's, it's resellers looking to make a profit and it's people trying to do it as a side hustle or whatever it may be. But it's, it's, it's mainly the, those people that were, were doing certain things on the side, like reselling other items, and they found that reselling sneakers is actually very efficient and a very um, uh, profound way to make an extra buck on the side. So because of that, reselling um, has jumped, I think it's like 650% just in the last four years. Mm. So it's, it's phenomenal. When, when you started, I guess when you started, there was a big kind of NFT craze and all talking about the token economy and things like that. And it strikes me that if you're sort of verifying sneakers, that the promise of NFTs and validation and tracking you know, tracking kind of ownership history, that that would be something that could match with what you're doing? Did you look at something like that? Definitely. Um, so, yes, in terms of the way you can track ownership history with NFTs is something that, that we've looked at, but we've sort of rejected it for one main reason. Uh, uh, we've, we try to keep all of our buyers and sellers anonymous from one, each other, well, one another. So if you buy a sneaker, you don't know who your seller is, and if you sell a sneaker, you don't know who your buyer is. We do this for one main reason, goes back to what I said, brands don't like resellers. So if they find out okay. inevitably that you've resold an item, they'll blacklist you, you'll never be able to buy another item again. So, uh, okay. we, so we try to keep um, uh, everyone anonymous on the marketplace purely for that reason. And when they create their seller profile, they just put in an avatar and a... No, so seller profile is, is their actual details. So it's their, uh, because we need to know the method to pay them out. So that's their bank. You have to do the KYC with we, them exactly. in the back end. But in the front end, what does it look like? In the like? front end, it doesn't look like... In the front end, you... you if you're a buyer, you're just coming onto our site as an e-commerce and you buy like normal. Okay. That you wouldn't go and check the seller's rating or their past sales, reviews, you don't check any of that. That's, that, that's the main reason we as semi-controlled marketplaces, we do all of this for you. Yeah. So that would kind of naturally fit that if, um, if a premium brand, you know, when your audience grows, if they want to do a drop, they, they could potentially, it would lend itself to working with you directly. Definitely. Definitely. Um, it would make a lot of sense to work with us. And we are in talks to... Uh, with smaller brands, um, not to the tier of Nike and Jordan, but with smaller brands um, to, to do their limited edition drops with us. Just because we have the whole infrastructure for it already, it makes sense. They don't have to go build it from scratch. With us, it's just plug and play, tell us what you're selling, we'll do the rest. There was a shoe brand under Shaloub, uh, a new shoe brand that they were doing a limited edition drop yeah. around now. Yeah. Would that be a type of a brand that could do it on Thriller? That would be. Um, I can give you a name of, of one brand that we we in talks with. Um, so Converse, which isn't into the, the limited edition space at all, but it's a very well-known brand. Um, Converse has collaborated with a lot of, um, especially in Dubai, a lot of heritage spaces. So uh, I'm sure you've heard of Ravi's uh, Restaurant. And no, they did a collaboration with Adidas. Adidas, yeah. Yes, correct. So that's two brands that you wouldn't even think would come together, right? Are those being resold on Thriller? Those are being resold, but At we don't have price? any exclusive rights. Uh, I think a pay is about 1,000 dirhams. It's not and too bad. How much were they at the start? 500? About 500, yeah. 499, okay. 500. Yeah. But, um, 
but but what I'm saying is that um, heritage uh, brands, whether that's restaurants or just heritage spaces, are now collaborating with the likes of uh, Adidas, with the likes of um, of Converse, and some of these smaller brands who are doing these collaborations with Converse or Adidas are coming to us and saying that you have you know you have the infrastructure, you have the capability to sell our items in the most efficient manner and to make sure that everyone gets a fair chance. Um, can we do something? Mm. So that, 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 that's something that we're in talks with. It's quite exciting. So you're a 20-year-old founder, CEO of a million-dollar business. Where, where do you go from here? Yeah, so, um, I mean, from now on, like I said, it's just about getting our message across to our target audience in the way that resonates with them the best. Um, we we want to keep working with some of the biggest names in the world. We want to keep... Um, uh, switching people over from the traditional way of buying sneakers from U.S. competitors and U.K. competitors and uh, Chinese competitors. Um, we want to win them over. We want to acquire as many customers as possible. And like I said, in the end, we want to become the marketplace for anything collectible. We don't want to limit ourselves to sneakers or apparel or anything like that. We'd like to be a fully open marketplace to to trade anything collectible. And um, and yeah, just just be the biggest in the space by by doing what I said. And what does that mean then for you? Do you think are you go, are you in university at the moment? No, 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 no. So you're doing this full time. Yeah. And do you, would you like to continue to do this, or do you see an exit in mind? Or? We do see an exit in mind, but uh, even if there is an exit, I will continue to be on board just because uh, I, I you're I, passionate I, about it. Yeah, I'm passionate about it, and also I study the industry every single day. I'm I would say I'm. Not to sound um, not to sound like I know it all, but I I'm very well invested in the industry, so I I feel I would know um, the best way to move forward, whether it's it's with me as the owner or not. Um, I feel that I'm very invested in the industry, that I'm very knowledgeable about the industry, um, and not to sound perspicacious, but uh, I'm very um, well I'm very well known in the industry, in the sense that. I feel I would make the best industry decisions for the company. Okay, interesting. And so there's two parts to this, I guess. There's a sort of collectibles uh, opportunity, but then there's the reality of being a CEO of a tech marketplace. And that's quite challenging, right? Like, because there's lots of costs, there's managing people, there's making market entry decisions, there's marketing, there's things like that. Yeah. Uh, is, is that something that you, you like doing as well, the managing part? Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's not something I necessarily enjoy fruitfully but it's something that I've taken a liking to um, it's something that you, you you have to learn to like um, when you when you're in a position like that because if you don't learn how to manage people well or you learn how to coordinate different tasks I mean I'm sure you understand that some days you juggling a hundred things at a time and you probably only get about 30, 30 of them done um, and yes you you, you, you do um, you do fail or you do get rejected a lot or you do drop a lot uh, drop the ball a lot uh, more than you'd like to but um, but yes, it's something that you take a liking to, and the more you do it, the better you become. Interesting. And and you know, when when you take on this new round of investment, would you envisage bringing in someone senior to run it? Or yeah, so I'd like to get someone that was ideally at my uh, level or my stage when they were my age. That way, um, you know, at the age that probably they probably few of them, probably few <laughs> of them. But that way, at the at the age that they are now, the senior age that they are now, they would have accomplished you know, a lot more than, than most people. Um, and that way they bring the best insight into the company. Uh, I'd also like to get someone that's, um, that's, that's not necessarily innovative, but someone that's intelligent because, uh, and when I say that, I don't just mean the generic version of intelligence because there's a big difference between innovation and intelligence. Um, we would like someone that's, that's very intelligent in the sense that 
the difference between innovation and intelligence is anyone can be innovative nowadays. It's not a trait that people are looking for. Um, so, you know, if we want to get someone on board as part of the team, we're not just looking for a cash cow, we're looking for someone that actually has a vision of taking things from where they are now to where we need to be um, and executing that vision in the best and most proficient way possible. Interesting. And in terms of tech and the decisions that you make, how much of this do you believe that you need to code yourself or have proprietary tech or uh, how much of this are you looking at licensing software and new features and products all the time? Yeah, so the initial build of the marketplace was all coded up by scratch. Um, we built everything from the ground up. But now when it comes to the stage of um, plugins and, um, and buying software for marketing purposes, um, now that we are at a stage where now it's a bit difficult to, to code that up. So we, we actually, we, we, we at the stage now where we are purchasing software um, to help us with our marketing efforts and um, UI and UX and just overall easy usability for any user. Hmm. And payment gateways and things like that, you use what's in the market? Yeah, uh, for payment gateway, we use Stripe just because they're the biggest in the, in the, in the region. And since they launched here, they have, um, you know, they've made it very easy for startups to, to integrate with them. So we've been using Stripe for, mm-hmm. for our payment gateways. And so two questions on company structure and culture. Uh, firstly, as an e-commerce marketplace, where did you license the business? Uh, we actually license in uh, Rasulheimer, uh, Rakas. Uh, and when you're doing the uh, investment, will that be at that level or will you have a holding company somewhere? No, it will be at that level. And then in terms of culture, like, yeah, you have remote uh, developers and engineers, but are, are you the type of founder who is building a sort of a remote first company or do you have people getting to the office every day? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we actually started during COVID. So that was a stage when no one was coming to the office, all work was done remotely. And, um, and we found that everyone is just a bit more efficient because they were comfortable working at home. And we've, we've never took, taken a change to that. We don't have a physical office. We only have our warehouse, which we meet occasionally. Um, like I mentioned, the warehouse for authentication. Uh, but the rest of it is done remotely. Um, people are more efficient that way. Uh, people are happier that way. Um, and we can track, I mean, nowadays with all these, um, these managing interfaces like monday.com and, and all of that, it's very easy to, to track exactly what's, being, what's getting done in a, in, a, in a certain day or a certain week. So, um, yes, we, we're very pro-remote working. Um, we don't see a need in spending, you know, X amount on an office when we can put that back into marketing cost or, mm. or whatever it may be. It's interesting. It seems to be a lot of young people do prefer that as well. Yeah, younger people. And also, I'm sure you also, um, you, you also find that if something happens, um, hopefully not another pandemic, but if something happens where we all have to start working remotely, uh, you cater for it. It's not like it's, um, it's a step back. It's you on the same level. We're not regressing at the time like how we were at COVID where people were just fumbling around. They didn't know how to get things done. Now we're at a stage where it's actually very easy for any company to, to work remotely. Obviously, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, it is quite easy. Uh, brilliant. And Adam, is there any kind of company that you look up to that you sort of follow, want to follow the path of or either in the region or internationally? Yeah. So in terms of, um, of companies that, that we, we've taken a liking to in how they project themselves and how they acquire their customers, uh, one of them is uh, Farfetch.com. Uh, so Farfetch is, um, is a company that, that, yes, we're competing with, but we, we, do, uh, we do recognize their strengths and we do recognize that they do some things very well. Um, and then there are certain marketplaces in the UK and US that we look up to as well. Um, but again, we, we, we don't just look up to them. We analyze what they're doing very carefully. 
uh, we track what they're doing and uh, we try to compete with them in the best way possible. Interesting. And your view of the region as being a good place to be running a business right now? Yeah, uh, the Middle East region, I mean, I don't, know, I don't have to tell you about Saudi's uh, exponential growth. UAE's growth, we already know. Um, so, like I said, it was actually between two choices, Saudi and, and UAE, on where to start this up. And we just found that UAE has a very cohesive um, startup uh, environment. Um, so we, and, and obviously, I've lived in Dubai for a very long time. So, we started up in Dubai, but I feel that anyone who's looking to start up a tech startup, I wouldn't waste your time in the US or UK. Middle East is, is, the, is the place to be. Brilliant. Well, that's all we've got time for. A really positive yeah. note to finish on. Thanks for telling the story of Thriller, and I'm pleasure. sure there's bright things to come. Thanks a lot, Richard. Pleasure talking to you. You too. Thank you. Pleasure. Wow, I always get impressed when young people have a cool head on their shoulders and are building something interesting. Uh, well done to Adnan and his team uh, of Thriller. That's T-H-R-I-L-L-E-R dot M-E. You can go check it out. And maybe uh, even uh, buy a sneaker or a collectible of your choice. Uh, thanks again to Ali Khalil, as ever, who produces this show, and Shahir Al-Kindi, uh, with the support of Shahir. It also goes on Love in Dubai on the website. Uh, you can watch it on Smashy.tv streaming service. Or if you're listening, as most do, on a podcast app, there's obviously Spotify, Angami, and Apple. But in the region, we've also got Podio, uh, where we host our podcast on, on Podio as well. And uh, we'll be back next week at 11 o'clock on Friday with a live show. It goes out on Friday afternoon. And you can follow all the business stories, as this is a Smashy Business production as part of the Augustus Media Podcast Network. <laughs>